0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode Today, my guest is Sajah Khan. He is a voiceover artist, actor, and musician based in Boston, and he is the current host of the King of the World podcast, which explores his life as a Pakistani-American Muslim in the 20 years since 9-11. And in his story, he weaves his own struggle with addiction to cannabis and how all of that came together for him and how he got into recovery. What's really powerful to me about his podcast is really shining light into the American Muslim experience and seeing that impact that had on him and a lot of the people that he interviewed and the complexity of that that I think is so important for us all to understand and for us all to grow. And I would highly recommend listening to his podcast before you listen to this episode. As we talk a lot about the podcast and the story, I think this episode would make more sense once you hear his story. So check it out, King of the World. With that, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. I really do appreciate it. It really does help people find the podcast and gets the podcast a lot of exposure. And I'd encourage you to join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. Okay, let's go ahead and start this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Sajahan Khan, and his podcast is King of the World, a series on post-9-11 and growing up as a Pakistani American Muslim in this post-9-11 era 20 years later. Yeah. Sajahan, Khan, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit sure, about you? Sure, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So my name's uh, Shah Jahan Khan. I I grew up here in Boston, uh, in the Boston area, I guess. And yeah, I have this, uh, it's funny, I can't believe it's actually out there, this show called King of the World, which is actually my name, Shah Jahan means means King of the World. It's a very, you know, just a standard chill name, I guess. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) yeah, I I am the son of Pakistani American immigrants, first generation. And yeah, kind of, Grew up as like a average American, you know, young person in the suburbs of Massachusetts, kind of a boring, quiet little town. And that's kind of where everything was, you know, and and a lot of people grow up with this dual, you know, identity thing. I think from the the outset, that's something that a lot of first generation people, you know, have their different struggles with or issues with. But I think for me, one thing I realized, so I was... 17, about to turn 18 when nine eleven happened. I was a senior in high school. I was sitting in a calculus class. I was already somebody that was dealing with lots of, you know, lots of stuff that you deal with as a teenager, including the beginnings of pretty heavy substance use and stuff already layered with, I think, these other, you know, being the only, one of the only sort of non-white families in our town and having sort of overnight that otherness become the most significant thing you know a significant part of of who i was and something i think which is sort of a common thread that you'll hear in a lot of first generation muslim stories or whatever so
0: yeah when i got your podcast you had reached out to to come onto the addicted mind podcast and you sent me king of the world and I, I as we were talking earlier it's such a great show as you explore yourself in that situation being a muslim american And 9-11 happens. And, you know, that kind of all falling on you and how that impacted you and how drug use started to come in and weave its way through that. And you tell that story so elegantly
1: in, in your show. Thank you very much. I I I have to shout out the whole team. You know, it definitely wasn't just me at all. You know, it was about five or six of us that spent the better part of ten months putting this together. And I think we're really fortunate to. Honestly, when we were doing it, we were like, I hope we can just do one good episode, and like maybe somebody will listen. It definitely exceeded all of our expectations. It is a very, I think, elegantly designed from you know very good sound design, very great editing and stuff, Uh, and it's helped me tell this story, you know, something that I've wanted to for, for many, many years and to just flesh it out in a million different Google documents and put it all together. And yeah, we, so it's like, I'm the host, but like my family is part of their recurring characters, if you will, throughout the seven part series. Uh, my friends in high school, you know, I got like a, the very first episode. So it kind of goes sequentially through the last 20 years. Right. So kind of episode one just opens on whatever that day, you know, September 11th, 2001, what was happening? I was on my way to high school. Just an average morning type thing. And then from there, each episode deals with a sort of sequence in time as far as what was happening in my life, whether it was, you know, addiction stuff getting worse, mental health stuff, like, you know, ending up in the hospital and things like that, coinciding with what was happening in, like, the national story, like in the headlines, you know, whereas things are happening, you know, wars are starting, the war on terror is beginning surveillance against Muslim communities and and all sorts of other external forces are happening. So we try to tell these stories parallel side by side with what's happening in my life during those years. I'm also starting a punk rock band, so starting to like have this music career thing happening and then side by side with like all, just all the the heaviness of being, you know, uh, a Muslim in America over the last 20 years. I think that's kind of, that, that was our goal to try to show those two things side by side.
0: Right. And, and at the same time, you know, what I loved about it is that you're sharing your story and how addiction came in as a way of coping with that, that trauma of growing up in this post 9-11 era and the impact that had on you and the trauma that it had on you and how you, how you coped with this through your life. It's like you take us through the journey of your whole addiction, you know, seeing it from, I guess, from a post-recovery perspective, you're able to look back and see it. And you're incredibly just honest and really shed light on this, that I think if you're not a person of color, you, you don't see it as the way in which you put it. It was so powerful for me to see that and and to hear that story from your perspective and the weaving of the addiction. So it's complex. There's a lot going on in that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I really appreciate having this forum, you know, because I think with this story, so, you know, I'll be honest with you, when I was first approached to do this, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to tell another yeah. 9-11 centered Muslim story because I was just so sick of it. A lot of us are. But yeah. when we we tried to, we realized we could frame it in this coming of age sort of way and also that like whether i like it or not that was the thing that fucking i'm sorry if I it's swore. Reality. that right yeah, we that, have that to kind face of, reality yeah and that's kind of like that that was the most that was the overnight you know life changed after that and then also i think the thing that i realize and that folks have been reaching out to me a lot about with this podcast is so my thing was cannabis right And and it's this interesting juxtaposition of that being uh, and getting, when I was first in recovery, going to meetings and stuff, and in the 12-step community, also being a very not diverse group that I was getting, and that recovery isn't. I've actually learned over the years that it is quite, looks very different all over the world and stuff, but in my, the way that I first initially got sober, those, and coming to that realization, you know, also like I think I talked about in the show, those first few years you're just trying to survive, for me, at least mentally, I couldn't even go there. And But then all that stuff in conjunction with what's going on in, in the country around, you know, by the time I'm three, four years sober, it's 2015, 2016, uh, right. Trump is coming into office and stuff. And then I take a trip to Pakistan in there and I go to my first meeting with all Pakistani people. And that really yeah. blows me away, you know. And so, th- yeah, there, there's so many different it's, layers. It's
0: like almost being able to see that yourself to have that experience and see the racism that was inherent in in our culture and in our society and being able to see it in that way and Mm -hmm. understand it.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, again, so I just celebrated, so January 5th is my anniversary. I just celebrated 11 years. It's pretty wild to say that out loud. So it just so happens that January 5th is also, it's my sobriety anniversary. It's my parents' wedding anniversary. It's now my and me and my wife's wedding anniversary—it's a very special time. So just, just this past, just a few weeks ago, was 11 years. And at the time, I, I'm also a voiceover artist and stuff. And I was recording this audiobook about a young—it's called Sunny G's series of rash decisions. It's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And it's—it's it's a story about this young, a Sikh high schooler from Fresno, California, who's dealing with—he's like a nerd. He's into like music and cosplay and stuff, but his brother has died from alcoholism. So it was very surreal for me to be telling that story, thinking about last year, having released this King of the World show was itself was a very therapeutic type thing, you know, and I've had my, I still maintain pretty close ties with the 12 step community, you know, in lots of different ways. I had my sort of like, whatever the post five year thing is where you've kind of like, at least in my experience, you know, like things have gotten really good. Like, what are you going to do now? (laughs) So, you know, and for me, that was like finding a therapist of color, right? That like I could relate with. Mm -hmm. But then also in this last, these last couple of years, finding this whole community of online meetings where there's frankly a lot more people that like look like me and maybe have had my experience and stuff. And I've been able to, I've been able to see that, like, I think doing the podcast in itself was an act in realizing that like, it's okay to be this like multifaceted person that just because these little, there's all these little pieces that never felt like a cohesive whole. And I think a lot of people maybe that are in recovery, early recovery, right. Feel like sort of fragmented people and And it really is that process of that exploration,
0: seeing all these different pieces, seeing how you relate to the world, calling out the truth and being able to see it and, and slowly put it all together. And through your story, you share that process of doing that and bringing it all together and bringing all the pieces together and seeing, I guess, some of the trauma and the impact. I think one of the real powerful stories you tell and what, what i remember is that that moment when you were young when 9-11 happened and these peers came to question you mm-hmm. and how like at the time it almost sounds like your body was in shock didn't know the the trauma of it until you had the time to reflect and, and get recovery on it and really see the depth of what was happening to you in the world and at this time
1: yeah, so that experience you're talking about is in episode 1. It's the day after so on September 12th, I go to you know, I go back to high school at Acton Boxborough Regional High School here in Massachusetts where I grew up and these three kids just asked me flat out, you know, what did your people do the next day. Right. And I remember that and I remember just being very confused and stuff and th- th- that whole week is is a bit of a blur and stuff. And that's kind of all I remembered about that story until last year when I actually interviewed my parents to ask them what happened. And this is another really special part of this this show, King of the World, is that in these conversations, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate to be very close with my family, with my sisters and stuff. But when you have this kind of interview forum, it's a little bit different than just having a conversation with someone. So I asked my parents, both independently, I did these interviews separately, to just tell me kind of like Obviously, all sorts of stuff, but specifically, what do they remember about that day, about that week and stuff? And they both told me that what actually happened was that day I came home, broke down crying in my room, and I just was inconsolable. And also later that week, those same guys like threatened to like beat me up at a party. And even after both of them telling me this independently, I still don't remember that this happened. So that was the first indication. They were the first couple of interviews that I did, I think, for, for this show after my friends and teacher and stuff. That was a, a sort of an aha moment where I was like, wow, like, you know, I've done all this therapy. I've written fourth steps. Like, what else is in there that I don't remember, you know? And this is so wild to me, like... And I think like it's it's a really cool bookend where the very final episode of the series I actually talked to a, a South Asian Muslim psychiatrist, and she really gives me some of this language to describe some of these feelings. One of her, the quote that, of hers that I still gives me chills to this day is that she says like you know nine eleven uh, made it so that we would always be responsible for something we never did, I, and I, I yeah. might even I might have paraphrased that a little bit, but just I remember physically like doing this kind of interview that you and I are doing with her and just feeling like I'm having this almost therapy session, forgetting I'm like doing a fucking show, you know, and like, she's, <laughs> yeah, because it's even, you know, all these years later, I have had these discussions many times, but for some reason, sitting in that forum, talking about it in this way, just brings out all this, this other stuff. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really, that's I think what people have responded to is that it's not just the political side. It's not just the X, Y, Z side. I think it's all of these things together, which is why it's it's been so great to be able to come on shows like this, you know, and talk about the recovery side, too, because that's such an important part of the story there. Right. And so let's let's
0: jump into that and talk a sure. little bit about how did getting into recovery help you start to see all this? When you start getting sober, you have to start digging in into some of this stuff. You know you're still in yeah. some kind of pain. You have this trauma that you, you grew up with, and it's there, but it's not taken care of. So
1: yeah, let's talk about that. Sure, yeah. So I mean, I'm 38, and I just told you I've been sober for 11 years. So I was about 27 when I finally, I guess, quote unquote, got it for real or whatever, you know, hopefully for the last time. But I, I started my recovery journey probably around the age of 18 or 19. So typical suburban growing up, smoking weed, drinking, you know, kind of stuff like that's like my story, I guess, maybe a slight difference is because my parents are who they are, they have never touched alcohol, they've never done any and again, that's not to say that Muslims don't drink and do drugs, they definitely do. My parents were just the two that were the very very good kids <laughs> so right, right we have I, I say that because yeah there, there's in terms of just a frame of reference there so when I started doing that stuff and you know having the typical stuff that happens like we didn't really have the language to discuss that stuff it was very secretive and I did get in trouble early on and, and all that but but it was kind of like growing up in the small town that I did it was a very Safe place where it felt like nothing bad, whatever, really happened to you, and right. you just felt like automatically, yeah, you'll go to college, you'll work it out. And for me, that just wasn't my experience. I got towards the end of high school, yeah, I, I was a pretty heavy cannabis user, pretty daily. And then by the time I did get to college, I basically dropped out after a year or so, came home, uh, had my first suicide attempt. So it was pretty obvious from early on that whatever I was doing was to a sort of a more severe degree than, you know, other friends of mine. So I think it was around 18 or 19 after my first suicide attempt that I was introduced to AA at Emerson Hospital in Concord, Massachusetts. And I remember it pretty well being like, look, I'm just a kid that smokes too much weed or something. I'm in this hospital. I don't really know. Maybe my parents are freaked out. You know, I, I made a stupid decision, like I won't do it again type deal. And there's this strange old guy in like a 1930s raincoat who has this thing that looks like a Bible or whatever. And I just didn't relate to it. And then I came home and then I think I went to a couple of NA meetings where there was at least a couple of people my age, a couple of people from my high school. And I started to kind of maybe start to accept that I did things a little to the extra or right. whatever. But I don't know if it, at that point I really, I mean, I would call myself a alcoholic or addict or whatever the thing was in the room, but I don't know how much I fully... Believed it even. But yeah, so I had a varying degrees of success for the next few years. I kind of bounced in and out of college. But then what happened is I, me and a friend started this this punk rock band, which itself was about identity and politics. And so I, I found this kind of outlet, this band called The Caminas. And what happened is we got a ton of media attention like right away, like from yeah. our very first, because the US media at that time was hungry for in, in a very different way. And one thing I also talk about a lot in the show is they were they were hungry for, like, these sort of, like, Muslim savior almost stories where, like, oh, yeah. only in the West could there be, like, cool Muslims, or, you know, this could not, even though there's years, centuries of, like, Islamic thought or whatever, right. and just seizing on our identity rather than our music. And, yeah, we were kind of like the Sex Pistols. We were this punk band. We had songs like Sharia Law in the USA. So we're definitely, like, saying shit. But then we, we start to kind of get like, not famous, but indie, whatever. And we start to get right. articles like yeah. Rolling Stone. We start to go on these tours. But what's happening is like, that stuff is going well, but my cannabis use, my drinking and then dabbling into cocaine and stuff too is, is sort of like, it's getting to this point where it's getting in the way of that too, finally, you know, and I yeah. kind of crossed that line. So that even this thing, which is like every kid's, you know, at least every young guitar player's dream is starting to come true. I'm starting to get to tour in different countries and stuff. But then it's becoming clear, like, oh, shit, this stuff is going to have to get sorted out. Then we're starting to get more and more attention. And then, you know, I do manage to kind of stay sober on my own for about like the white knuckling thing that people talk about doing that for about a year and a half. And then having this sort of epic glorious relapse you could call it in Europe on our first big European tour playing with some of my heroes and then just not being able to show up for music videos and things and and having a very quick fall right and it's kind of going was it a
0: combination of the drug use and also I think you talk about like a lot of depression and and kind of mental health and all of this kind of flowing together you've got all this trauma Growing up in this post 9-11 world, having all of this pressure, having yeah. all these things happen to you kind of in a, in a way at a young age
1: and yeah. then not knowing how to cope and not knowing how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as a band, we started to sort of form this, this community of sort of fringe, I guess you could say brown kids like us, where we're starting to and we're starting to finally become a voice for people in a way. But yeah. it's this complicated thing where I myself, inside, I'm sort of using that as a as a crutch, almost, to be like, look, I'm I'm important in this way. This thing is bigger than me, and I'm hoping that that'll sort of solve. That'll be that thing that's the, looking outside of me for a solution type thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like this. If this happens, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah. But you, all that inner work, all that integration yeah. of all the parts of yourself even the parts exactly. that you have your own phobia against we, we have to
1: integrate all of that and yeah. you're you're stuck you can't exactly and yeah and just kind of essentially playing a character doing it while the the other inside work is still not happening and and so just ultimately being kind of unhappy and un and eventually unreliable and then kind of yeah having this exit from the band and then really being left with myself you know after moving back in with the folks after you know doing this big tour and and coming home and realizing that my world has actually become super small again like because I'm just really interested in getting paid for shows going and buying drugs right. and stuff and then just like you know locking myself in my room and everything and so kind of starting from scratch again and it just I think I get to that point where I'm willing to finally because I have not not that much left I don't want to say nothing yeah. because I have extremely privileged to have a place to live, you know, and like not have any, yeah, yeah. because of a lot, you know, and not have to have had any significant but, issues. You know, it's the like the, a, if you
0: could say it like the, yeah, those things and those are definitely important, but like the, in the spirit, if you want to call it your, yourself there, you know, we get mm-hmm. to a point where there's nothing left.
1: Yeah. In the exactly. Spirit. There's it's
0: you're, you're empty.
1: Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't, I don't think I told this on the podcast, but it's, it's, The very last day before I finally went back to meetings was I was at a a Home Depot with my mom buying a toilet for my parents' house. And I'm 27 years old. And I'm just like, how did I go from playing this crazy like rock concert in Europe to like, being at a Home Depot with my parents, like what happened in my life, you know, and th- and that was kind of, I had obviously had lower emotional bottoms. I had been in the frigging hospital for suicide and all this stuff. But for some reason, that experience was so just like, how did this is, you how know, I you? have to, yeah. something has to change. So I remember that date was February 18th, of 2011, and I know this because of Facebook messages, was when I wrote a message to a kid I used to go to NA meetings with. And I was like, hey, man, like, I don't know if you still go to these things. Shit's kind of messed up in my life again. I was wondering if maybe we could talk sometime. Ten minutes later, he's like, I'm picking you up. Let's go. So. Wow.
0: And it's kind of crazy how those moments appear for everybody in these different ways where, we reach that space where we say we we got to change we got to do something yeah and it could be some juxtaposition like that that just says this isn't this isn't right and yeah.
1: you do something different and that's great yeah. that you here you know you reached out that's amazing yeah and you know from there like yeah i just kind of was willing to do whatever it was i wasn't the first times you know getting the sponsor doing the whole deal and my life did get better very relatively quickly i got i went back to i finished school i ended up going for a masters and and stuff and then somewhere in there a few years in like music came back and i got to do all the things that i thought i had lost i thought i would never get to play with my band again and they had gone on without me and done like a better album and i was pretending that i'm this like i'm fine <laughs> right. with it but really deep down inside i was like oh my god but then yeah. you know they asked me to join again and then we did tour the world again and stuff and but beyond all that, like I just actually became like, I just felt like I grew up. It's like becoming fully human,
0: like you're fully yourself, all of these different parts integrated together. And, you know, on this podcast, I don't think I can do justice to your show. I don't think I'm doing justice, (laughs) but because I have that perspective of listening to your whole story and and Mm. watching you go through that whole process and see it and you just lay it bare, that process of coming to terms with all of that, of the, of the reality and then integrating it and then finding that space and recovery to be a whole person.
1: Yes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like I think we were talking about earlier, a few years in having those questions that honestly would lead me to, had always led me back to substances and stuff cropped up again about like, you know, what, what is this identity stuff? Where do I want to go with that? instead of running away from it this time making those changes and being like okay like maybe there's something else i need to be doing you know whether that's meditation but in and in my case was finding a really good therapist you know finding someone who was familiar enough with like my kinds of stories that like we could really just right. get down to the nitty-gritty of stuff and being ready for that and taking some uncomfortable risks as far as being like oh you know i know i've been doing it this way for for a long time but something's not working anymore and like i've I need to grow, and so mm-hmm. ultimately, yeah, it's not that it just happened overnight, and yeah, it is a continuous process for sure.
0: Yeah, as we go through it, and we grow, and we learn about ourselves, and integrate all these pieces, pieces <laughs> together. You know, absolutely. What was it like to? You mentioned in the early parts of this, you're going into meetings, and they're predominantly white, and treatment is predominantly white, and there's yeah. not a people of color aren't represented in
1: treatment. I mean, it's it's interesting. So I think I, I alluded to it a little bit. Initially, it wasn't a thing and it was very similar to my experience growing up because I was so used to being that only mm-hmm. person. And that in itself is a weird sort of a thing that I think folks that have been through it can maybe understand a little bit better possibly. But just you're so used to being that other in the room that you right. almost welcome it in a way. It's this thing which it just it can just become very after you sort of cross the line with it, there's no going back. Like I I remember, and after doing this series, actually like thinking about all the, you know, I will give you one example. So one thing that really, after which I found it really, really hard to go to meetings in my, in my, in the greater, at least the same ones that I was going to in this area in Boston was I was once at a men's meeting where, you know, this guy is celebrating 30 years or something. He's this like, a guru or whatever, and I had just come back from. Now I'm probably five or six years sober at this point. So I had just come back from doing a, a show with my band, the Caminas, in Morocco, and easily one of the my high highlights of my life, playing this big rock festival out there. And we're all out to dinner after this meeting. The topic of Morocco comes up, and it's all white people at the whole meeting, all white men. Right, right. And this guy he basically says the following, he goes, Oh, Morocco, man, that place really smells the airports like smell like cigarettes and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, I I was just there. I, I, you know, like, and I'm just at that moment, I'm sort of laughing it off. And then he says the following, then he goes, Oh, the other thing about Morocco is I'd never want to take my kids there because of all those terrorist training camps. Like he literally, this is literally what he said. And, and no one said anything to him you know and like yeah. i didn't even and in those moments like you always think of the shit you want to say like three fucking days later you know what i mean yeah that's just one example of shit that had happened a lot over the years and things that i'm sure that i didn't I, I let slide or whatever but in that moment i just like and then seeing like there was these like t-shirts i remember that like people wore a lot of trump rallies or whatever seeing one of those at this meeting that i used to go to, and then just like And then also, like, realizing that I think I can't talk about everything here. And I think that, like, there's things that, like, some people don't understand that this is a part of my recovery, too, right? It's, I can't leave. I'm not somebody that is able to just, like, quote, unquote, leave politics at the door or, you know what I mean? Like, because that's such an integral part of my experience. And I didn't even realize that the first few years that some of these, and so, Yeah, man. So after I'd say 2016, 2017 was my, I guess, recovery, post five-year recovery awakening in a way, I kind of stopped going to meetings in the same way regularly. I focused a lot on therapy. And then during the pandemic, I found sort of a community of recovering folks that I could kind of relate with. And, And so it has been a struggle. But the cool thing is just now that there is so there's a lot more of these kinds of conversations happening. I remember once in um yeah. in Boston folks had started tried to start uh kind of like a folks of color and recovery meeting. This was in uh, maybe like when I was a years so, and I couldn't go there mentally. I just couldn't do and, and so I didn't want to keep going in that way. I don't know if that makes sense. But nice. now I I totally support that kind of stuff and and yeah because it it's all yeah, you 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 can't like
0: yeah I don't know. There, there's well, I, I think you you're eloquently like showing that duality that exists in our culture where there's these unspoken traumas mm-hmm. and judgments that are there and yet there's no voice yeah. for it and, and how it all like kind of comes together. And I think as yeah. as a society, I mean that was what was really I enjoyed learning about that too and as a white person being mm. able to see that and and it, it be made even more aware of how that manifests in in people of color so you can so I can understand it and and even appreciate it more and I guess what I'm trying to say is like you know at the end it is so hopeful because we're bringing this all to the surface so we can mm. all deal with it and heal and so your stories about that and about addiction and how it
1: all overlaps and just really well done. I really like it. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate it. It reminded me of one thing I hadn't thought about in a long time. I remember this one NA meeting that I used to go to in the area of my hometown where, you know, sometimes like there's guests, chairs, like a chairperson will, they'll be a chairperson for a month or something. And I was the chairperson for that month so in the N.A. book, there's the first part, you know, which is all the the text, right, uh, right. similar to how it works, I think, in the in the big book or whatever. And in the back, there's those stories. I think similarly in the big book there are. But in the N.A. book, there's actually stories from all over the world. Like there's uh, an indigenous story. There's a story from a guy in Iran. And and I had like I never knew that. Like I never just turned the book to the end. And I remember, I think, reading maybe the Iran story or one of them and I think everybody also in the room was like, wow, we never knew that that was in the book. And and it just blew me away that I'm like, this is a book we all have. And we never, like, I never even knew that this was right. there because I never bothered to, like, read the table of contents or whatever. And then learning that actually NA is, is huge in Iran and stuff and, you know. So, I got to see a little bit of it when I, once I, I had a few years sober, I got back into the band, the Kaminas, and we started touring. I made a deal with my sponsor that I was like, listen, I know I'm getting back into this music thing, but I'm going to call you on the road and I'm going to find meetings whenever I can. So, then I remember going to a meeting out in, in Venice Beach in California and being blown away that I was like, oh man, I guess like I just had this one idea of how meetings were. And then I remember obviously going to one in Pakistan, going to them in Norway and in Germany and stuff. And I know now that that, that community is, is, I'm part of it in like whatever way that I can be, you know? Right. I think we're all learning
0: that. We're all growing in that way. That's part yeah. of recovery on, on the big thing is integrating all these different parts of ourselves and, yes. and seeing them all and looking at them all and owning them all, the good, the bad, and figuring out how to be the best people we can.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, the thing about King of the World that I realized, I think after the last series was over, it it had, so I have never really written any. So, you know, the, the way it would work is I would basically, we would do the interviews. I would usually write the very first draft and then bring it to the team and then we'd go back and forth. And by the time we recorded it, we would have nine drafts or something, but I hadn't done that much writing about myself since the step work <laughs> so right, it was, right, yeah. you know I mean so it was yeah. like uh it was it was a lot I, I would imagine you had you had
0: to uh, dig pretty deep and and yeah if, and doing it itself as its own journey as as yeah. you learn more about yourself you can see you're growing throughout it
1: for sure and we had a pretty systematic approach so because I love google docs <laughs> so yeah. before we before we started uh us and I were like all right what well, we'll do is well. the very first thing we ever made was an Excel sheet or something with two columns. One column has, or, or it has all every year from you know two thousand one, two thousand two, all the way up to twenty twenty. Column one: what's happening nationally, like what are the right. the news uh, events, political events, you know, social events that are happening. Column two: what's happening in Shah Jahan's life, and that's how the podcast started. So from there, wow. we were like, okay, and then in each of those columns, we thought about okay, who might be some of the people that we could talk to from my life during that period. And then also one thing I don't think I've talked about yet is just the incredible gift that we had of all the different guests that we had on on the series throughout. You know, we had actors, we had historians, we had a Muslim Marine who... Was basically a year older than me. When I, he was a senior, and he was a freshman, in, in uh, at, at college, when nine eleven happened, he then joined the Marines, and, and then he later would go on to become like a, a champion MMA fighter, and found Pakistan's first MMA league. This guy Bashir Ahmed. Then we talked to folks that had been through some pretty severe hate crimes, folks that had been targets of surveillance. So. Yeah, in addition to like myself, my family were so fortunate to every episode had two or three really amazing guests to help us kind of weave this whole story together.
0: Yeah, and, and put all the pieces together. And I, I think what you share really is is how that our traumatic experiences manifest and they're not always visible. And we have to be able to be open to explore them and take the risk to look inside and share them mm-hmm. so that we can heal and we can figure it out and we can integrate all the different parts of ourselves into, to live our best life.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: One of the things I also wanted to ask you about as you were talking, because you're talking about all these different interviews, I I love your, your folks. And (laughs)
1: and they, they, I think my mom and my sister, uh, my sisters are probably people's favorites. I think I'm really, yeah, they're just, yeah. It was such a treat and to have all of them. W- w-
0: what was it like to get their reflection on your life now and what they went through and, and to see
1: what they were seeing in you? You know, and I guess it makes sense uh, because I'm on this show with you. The first time I was able to see some of that was during the ninth step amends. I, re- mm-hmm. I remember all of those very distinctly as... I think the first one, I did maybe 35 amends or something. I had like three to 400 people on my resentment list. And of those, we whittled it down right, to right. the people that you actually make amends to. And I think we started with yeah. one, not easy one, but like one to warm up before the, the heavy right. ones with your right. family and everything. So that was the first time, because when you do amends with people, it's it's about you. It's also about them. It's also kind of, you're sort of putting it out there that like, no, I'm different now. And this shit can't happen again. And this is how I'm different. It's essentially just one extra, I think this is the way I look at it, layer of armor or whatever in the sand to help you really be like, no, I'm committing to this way of life and stuff. So that would have been maybe eight years ago. I think that I probably did those with my family. So I think this was the first time since then that I was able to do this kind of a thing with them. And I had a series of interviews with both my parents, each individually, my mom and my dad, and then I have two younger sisters. And actually there's gonna be a bonus episode where there's a follow-up to this series uh, with my sisters as well, which is gonna be coming out in a few weeks. And then actually, I'm a co-host of another show called Immigrantly, where my mom is going to be a guest. I'm actually, in about a month or so, we're going to be driving down to New York and I'm bringing her into the studio and she's going to talk about... This show is called Immigrantly. I'm co-hosting with uh, someone called Sadia Khan. This is their 13th season. It's like a co-production between their company and our company, Rafaelion But this season is about love and relationships. So my mom is going to talk about arranged marriage. So we're a pretty very close... Family, we've been through a lot, you know, especially like the stuff that I went through early on. So I think that our communication and openness as a family has has been pretty strong for many years. One thing that I learned a few weeks ago happened, my mom has been in retail for a very long time. She was one of the managers of Lord & Taylor here in, in Boston for a while. She, Since Lord & Taylor closed after the pandemic, she's now uh, a manager at Saks uh, up in New Hampshire. And some racist shit happened to her there. And, wow. you know, she it, being in retail, being a woman of color in retail, she has a lot of stories about this stuff. But something happened recently where she kind of stood up and said something to this person. And a, a few weeks ago when she was telling me and my sister about this, she started crying and she said, the reason that I was able to say that is because of your the show. Like, she she looked at me and she pointed at me and she said that, like, because of the things wow. that you said in your show like that gave me and I'm not trying to I mean it's years of other stuff too but she said that there, I think there was something and that was something I wasn't expecting that like this obviously is a in a way you could say a selfish kind of storytelling whatever and it's like my healing and stuff but I never imagined that like it could help the family in a way and help right. my mom heal in a way and like voice these things that you know for years are these microaggressions that build up in you and that that she yeah you know, and that was that was something super powerful.
0: Well, it it helps everybody. I mean, you're you know, it gives it all of us strength. I mean, having that mm-hmm. voice and putting that out there and calling out reality, yeah, is what we all need. And yeah, and it and it's powerful. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that's
1: amazing. That that's yeah, great. I, I'm still. I mean, this just happened a few weeks ago, so I can't. I, I couldn't believe it when she said it. It was really like. It was, it was heartwarming and awful and gratifying and and all these things at the same time. So, well, it's like the strength that comes
0: from that of, as our society is facing this, finally, Mm -hmm. we need all of this so we can learn and we can grow. I mean, it was, you know, listening to your podcast for me is as a white person listening Mm -hmm. to helping me understand, because once again, you know, you, you talk about going into the group, you know, it's like. I'm already part of the group, so to speak, you know, the dominant mm-hmm. group. And some of these things don't get spoken. You don't see them. Yeah. And to be able to see them and for me to grow as a person as well, is really it was really powerful for me.
1: No, and I Duane, I really appreciate you taking the time because for your listeners, maybe, I think we were going to do this a few weeks ago and then you were like, no, dude, I got to finish your show first. That really means a lot to me because, you know, it's not every, we all have, we're yeah. all very busy, we have things to do, but like that really meant a lot to me that you, that you took the time to listen to the whole thing. So I really
0: appreciate yeah. that. Well, it's important. And hey, yeah, it's, and it is hard because we're all busy and I don't get to yeah. read every book and yeah. listen to everything because you just don't have yeah. time. No, but and, I, mean, I, started I can't, can't give like, you those six hours <laughs> of your
1: life back. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So let's talk just a little bit longer, sure. just about now dealing with your recovery, being in the band and, mm-hmm. and doing all that. And putting that all together, how is that different now? How do you ex- experience your music different? How do you uh, cope with that?
1: I'm not going to say that things aren't challenging. You know, the past couple of years, especially, were trying times for a lot of folks. I think that the recovery stuff just has enhanced all parts of my life. You know, I don't know how else to, to say it, but like I, the way that I can... Look, I, I still struggle with depression, with anxiety, with loneliness with just self-worth, self-loathing, all of all of these things. I think that brutal honesty like this, re-evaluation, one thing my uncle in Pakistan said to me a long time ago was you should always be redefining success for yourself. I think that like doing this whole podcast was a risk. So I had a very comfortable job I, uh, before quitting it and doing this kind of stuff full time. I have a master's in community social psychology. I worked for a little bit for a behavioral health consulting company, doing some great work related to addiction, to homelessness prevention, to prison reform, doing research associate kind of things. And But it was just like the creative part of me was just not fulfilled. And so over the last year, like the being able to like execute a project like this and the not just the confidence, but like the realization that, I truly am just, the, the limits are all in my head. And you hear, you know, I think you uh, people say this sometimes that like the stories that we tell ourselves are so yeah. ingrained sometimes to the point where we don't even know that they're just stories. For somebody that's maybe never traveled to a different place, like I'll give you another example. At the beginning of this year, I got a trainer at the gym, okay? Like I've been working out regularly since I got sober, but I just wanted to, like I'm not somebody that does something like that and I'm having right. the best time. And it's, yeah, it'll be nice to like look better or whatever, but it's really just for my brain. It's really just, you know, two years sober, I stopped smoking cigarettes and I became a runner, not like a marathon runner, but just somebody that runs. So just, I think that part is what excites me about life. It's what, even in the darkest times, it's it's almost like knowing, knowing logically that like, I have gotten over a lot of these limitations that I've set on myself is what kind of gets me up. Also, just this idea of risk taking, I think, I think starts in early recovery too. the first day you realize that like, Oh, man, I didn't wake up and think about getting high today. Or then it turns into like, I went a whole day without thinking about it. And then before you know it, a few, you know, it's been, oh my God, how long has it been since I even thought about it? Or, you know, and oh my God, I'm at this concert. And I, I remember once five years ago, we were doing a gig. We were about to, after I'd come back to the band, we're about to fly to Norway to do another show. And I was out all night with my band and I was at this party and another friend of ours turned, and I'm very open about obviously sobriety and everything. And this friend turned to me and he was like, dude, like you don't even need to drink or anything. And I had even not even <laughs> been conscious of the, you know, like it was, and just right. that realization that like, until he said it, I didn't even notice that people were drink, you know, going from somebody right. who never could have imagined going to a concert and not, you know, being freaked out by like people using or drinking or whatever. And, but I, it just, just from taking that time to really work on myself also, yeah, man. Just like being okay with the down stuff, like realizing right. that, like that's something that I think there's nothing other than time for me, at least, that like to be like, you know, even though I feel down here today, like logically, I know that this is going to last anywhere between twenty-four to forty-eight hours, and it's going to be okay after that. Like that. That in itself is, I think, such a a skill that maybe those of us that have been in recovery for a while take for granted. Because in the beginning, it's so moment by moment. You know, your present is your right. omnipresent. It's like th- there's no ability to to think long term because it's all about the here and now and, and all. It's
0: like that transition from like the the, the escape and avoidance strategies to right. making things meaningful and things yes. are, are meaningful, you know. And as you get in recovery, these kind of things, these pursuits these higher things, they just, they bring so much more meaning. They're just not about getting out of pain anymore or oh, getting sure. out of depression. I mean, not, yeah, depression and anxiety definitely still comes. Yeah. It's still there, but yeah. you have these other meaningful things that are like, can pull you out of it. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. that you know, I, 100%. pulls you out of it and, and you can, these are important things that have to be done, you know, because they're, they're bigger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know, which is, which you. is very, very cool. Yes. Awesome. Well, we kind of went over our time. usually like 30 no minutes, but we, we yeah, talked yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, a lot to talk about. So usually I like to ask at the end, it's like uh, if if someone out there is struggling and you could tell them one thing, what would you what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say? What would be the
1: one thing? Yeah. So I would probably, this is something we used to, I used to act with this theater troupe called the Improbable Players, uh, now called uh, Second Act, which is all actors that are in recovery. They go to middle schools and high schools and community centers and put on plays about addiction and recovery. And then you do like talkbacks with the audience. You tell your own story. It's really amazing stuff. What we used to say at the end was try to find one person that you can be brutally honest with. I think that's where it starts. Just one person that, and it absolutely does not have to be a family member. It doesn't have to be like a friend. I mean, I'm a big supporter of obviously recovery meetings and and, and the social element of that. But yeah, if there's there's got to be like one other person that that can that can hear you out, and that's kind of where where the healing can start. I think.
0: And they're out there. Those Absolutely. people are, you, you find them, go, go to a meeting, go any, get it. Yeah. You can do and it. now,
1: yeah, so. there's so many online forums. There's online groups or, yeah. Cause just holding the stuff inside is, is, is really, really hard.
0: Yeah. And you're, you're not alone. You're not alone For out sure. there. Awesome. So where can people find you if they want more
1: information, they want to connect with you, where can they go? Absolutely. So yeah, my podcast uh, is called King of the World. I'm also the co-host for another show now called Immigrantly. But you can also go to my website, uh, shahjahankhan.com I'm assuming you can put it in your show yeah, notes or whatever. Yeah, I'll put it all in my show And all notes. my social media handles are just at and then shajistan. I'll send those to you also. Yeah, send email. them to me. And, uh, I'm in a couple of different bands. So my, my most prominent band is called Kaminas, the Kaminas, K-O-M-I-N-A-S. I also play in a band called Ravi Shavi in Providence. R A V I S H A V I. I always have a million projects going, on, <laughs> but yeah, mostly between all those things, you should be able to. And please do reach out for sure. I'm I'm always happy to to hear. And I I would yeah I would really love for folks to listen to, subscribe to, and and most importantly share King of the World with folks. Because before we go, I'll just tell you straight up. After that show came out, all sorts of people from my past got in touch with me, people from elementary school. One in particular, we ended up going out to dinner. I hadn't seen her in 30 years. Her husband straight up told me, listen, I'm in recovery. Me and my entire family like voted for Trump or whatever. And after I heard your podcast, that was the first time in my life that I called my dad and I said, hey, I think we have something to talk about. Wow. So I, n- I never expected that kind of thing. So please, I really would love to hear from folks. Thank you so much for having me, Dwayne. Thank you for putting it out there.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. You get all the links there. And once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please write a review wherever you get your podcast. That really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addictive Mind Podcast, but join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you on the next episode.
1: Oh, hey, it's Aaron.